going to read to us from Luke chapter 12. So Luke 12, 22 to 40. He said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? If then you are not able to do so small a thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... How much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not keep striving for what you are to eat and what you are to drink. And do not keep worrying. For it is the nations of the world that strive after all these things. And your father knows that you need them. Instead, strive for his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet, so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. If he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But know this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? Good, good, good. What a powerful service so far, hey? Uh, My name is James. Uh, I have the the privilege of leading one of the Kingdom Family communities here at Chank with my my beautiful bride, Danny. And uh, it, it is a real honor to be sharing with you this morning. And um, before I go any further, I just would love to pray. Um, So, Father, thank you that you are here. Thank you for all you're doing in our midst. Uh, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We ask that you would continue to minister to us this morning. That you would meet with us through the words these words through um, this passage, that you'd help me to articulate what you've put on my heart and anything that's not of you would fall to the ground, but that, Lord God, this morning you'd stir faith in each one of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're continuing our series in Luke um, and continuing from James's um, amazing message last week. 
And just to, to recap and backtrack to give the background, at the beginning of uh, chapter 12, we see that multitudes are, are being drawn to Jesus. It actually says innumerable in one translation, thousands in this one, to the point where people are being trampled on. So it's not a kind of this a pretty picture like we've got here with all of you sitting down and ordered on, on chairs. We've got that this energy, this throng of people trying to see Jesus, trying to hear what he's having to say. And in the midst of that, um, you've got uh, his disciples sitting, I, I would picture, close to Jesus and in, huddled around him while you've got thousands of people around desperate to, to get a, a glimpse of what, what he's doing. And in the midst of that, as James spoke on last week, uh, we had one guy who thought he'd take the opportunity, he can see that Jesus is a leader, and he said, Jesus, tell my, my brother to share my father's inheritance. And Jesus then goes on to give this parable um, that Kate was about to read this morning, which actually would have been really helpful. Um, but uh, the, 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 the rich man, who has a bumper harvest, and he can't contain the harvest, and he's, he figures to himself, well, I've got to build bigger barns. I can store up the harvest, and then I'm done. I can put my feet up, that's it. I can check out a life, and that's me done. And Jesus said that God said to him, you fool. Your soul is required of you now. And so it is with all of those who, who store up treasure for themselves but are not rich towards God. So that is the lead-in to the passage that we're, we're about to go into. And we'll, we'll cover off what it looks like to be, to be rich towards God. But from that point, we now come into the passage today. And now, within this multitude, Jesus is addressing his disciples. And he says to you, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Oh, <laughs> and that's it. That, that's, that's the message for this morning. Uh, we're going we're gonna to stop now. <clears throat> do not worry about your life. It would be, that's a good drop the mic moment. Um, I know, should, know if Jesus had a mic. I suspect not. That the technology wasn't invented, but if he did, he probably would have done. But he goes on to say, um, do not worry about your life. What you'll eat, about your body, what you'll wear. <clears throat> for, the life, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. And that the word worry can be translated as do not be anxious about, do not take thought for, do not be careful for, basically the things of life. And Jesus has, has just highlighted the two most important things necessary for life. And this is food and it's clothing. This isn't stuff that's peripheral to life. This isn't nice to have. This is core staying alive stuff. We need food. We need clothing. Otherwise, we're going to die. Putting it quite, quite simply. So Jesus is, is really addressing core needs that people have. And in, in making his point, he then goes on in verse 24. He says, consider. Consider the ravens. And he points people to nature. And to the beauty of this creation that we have been planted in. To God's created order. And to underline and to make his kingdom principle and to reveal this kingdom truth, he points the people to, to nature. And he says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They neither have storehouse nor barn. And that's a, just bringing back his previous passage about this rich man who, who was looking to build bigger storehouses and barns. They have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. And this is the picture of the, the creation that's held together by God's word, by God actively at work in the world around us on a daily basis, minute by minute, that we cannot see, but it reveals his goodness. It reveals and gives us glimpses of his kingdom. 
And he goes on to say, how much more value are you than the birds? And can any of you, by worrying at a single hour to your lifespan, if then you're not able to do such a small thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? And again, he goes on, consider. Consider the lilies. And he's pointing again at creation. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not clothed like one of these. And Jesus is now contrasting the wealthiest man that has lived, certainly within the history of Israel, of the nation of Israel, the wealthiest man. And he's saying even this guy who had absolutely everything you could possibly imagine, even he wasn't looked after, even he wasn't clothed um, as well as, these, as, as the lilies. Now, as, as Jesus is saying this, this giving this command to do not worry about our lives, he is presenting a new way of living. He's presenting a new kingdom order. And he's speaking into uh, to, to, uh, the, the, the mix of the people that surround him, specifically the disciples who've bought into the, the, the fact that there's a kingdom coming and they want to be a part of it, which would be very similar to us. That's where most of us are at, that we've bought into what God's doing. We've accepted Jesus into our heart. But Jesus is turning tradition on his head. All of the, the, the verses, the parables that he's, he's speaking on bef- beforehand, he's actually saying the way that you live, the way that you judge, the way you perceive, the way you evaluate, the way that you, you make plans, all of that, we've got to work on this stuff. And bit by bit, he's, he's taking and pointing and pinpointing at different perceptions, different attitudes, different uh, values that we hold in our hearts to present a better way. And that better way is, is God's kingdom way and is a way that brings life and a, 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 a way that, that brings transformation for, for not only our lives but actually uh, beyond and to the lives of those around us. And as Christians, when we invite Jesus into our hearts, whether we realize it or not, effectively we are subscribing to an ongoing mind renewal program that's lifelong, that is a course of transforming the way we think, of transforming the way we perceive to see things from a kingdom perspective. And as we know in Romans 12 too, it says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you would know what the good, the acceptable and the perfect will of God is. There's this transformation that, that God is longing to, to effect in our lives. And it's, 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 it's started in all of us and we're, we're, all, uh, we're all a work in progress. But it's, it's his glory that he wants to reveal through his kingdom and through his people. So he's, he's using nature. And actually one uh, really good tip is that if you want to hear from God, go for a walk, get into the country, get up into the downs or down by the sea and just allow God to speak to you in, in the, the intricacies and the beauty of his creation because he will. And so often in my life, I've been so encouraged by just getting out of the man-made structures and getting into God's created, uh, created world. So then Jesus goes on after likening um, uh, or or talking about the the lilies and how um, God looks after them. But he goes on into verse 28. He said, If God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, tomorrow it's thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And I believe within this, this statement, Jesus is actually getting to the crux of the issue. 
And I love the way that Jesus uses this phrase. He, there's three other times in the, in the New Testament, or three other instances that he uses it. And we'll be very familiar with two of them. One of them is where the disciples are traveling with Jesus in the boat uh, across the, the Sea of Galilee. A, a storm kicks off. It's raging. They're terrified. They're afraid for their lives. They wake Jesus up, who's fast asleep in the boat. And uh, Jesus calms the storm. And then he turns to the disciples and he said, why were you afraid? You of little faith. The other uh, one I want to mention is when Peter is, again, they're in the boat, and uh, Jesus uh, is walking on the water. Peter sees him walking on the water. He says, Master, that's you. Call to me. I'll I'll come to you. And Jesus beckons him across, and Peter starts walking on the water, turns and looks at the waves around and uh, starts sinking, and he's like, Jesus, help me. And Jesus stretches out his hand. He helps him, and he said, Why did you doubt? You of little faith. And here we're looking at worry, and and he's tackling worry. Again, he uses the same phrase, O you of little faith. And he's used it for for fear. He's used it for doubt. He's used it for worry. And he's confronting these these attitudes, these ways of thinking that are so inherent in our lives and in, in our culture. And I believe the antidote for that is faith. which we'll come on to. So in verse 29, Jesus then says, don't, don't keep striving for what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink. Don't keep worrying. For it is the nations of the world that strive after these things. And he's making the point that this is, this is what everybody is doing. Everywhere around the world, different cultures, different peoples, different, whatever level of life you're living at, people worry about and strive after the things of life. It's human nature. But then he goes on to say, and in this, as he ends the sentence, he makes the distinction between the nations of the world and us as children of God. And he says, and your father knows that you need them. So he's painted this picture of using God. Uh, the the picture of of the the birds and God feeds them, the lilies and God clothes them. Now he's making it personal and he uses deliberately, I believe, um, the word father. So it's no longer a distant God who's looking after creation, but actually your loving father. And that word father encompasses the provision. It encompasses the protection of of, uh, what a father uh, offers. And and as a dad with, with three boys, I would be mortified if they were, were worrying and striving about what they're going to have for lunch, about, about the, the, the things of life, because they look to me. Well, probably Danny is a dietitian more so, but I'll, I'll, I'll do my bit. But as a, as a fatherly role to provide and protect, that's what that word father encapsulates. And Jesus is then talking about Father God and deliberately brings that word in. And in verse 31, he said, instead, instead, it's of striving for this stuff, strive for his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. In wanting to, to build faith and address faith, when Jesus says you have little faith, he's not just saying you just got to hope more, you just got to grit your teeth and, and just really try and, and wish and trust and it's all going to be okay, because that's not faith. Faith is in someone. Faith is in a person. Faith is in, is, is in our, our God. And in presenting a father that knows what you need, suddenly he is the object of our faith. 
as we recognize that we have a father that loves us, that provides for us, it, it, it doesn't make sense. It's incongruent that we can worry about this stuff because we know that he, 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 we know that he knows what we need. And he goes on to say, instead strive for his kingdom and all of this will be given to you as well. And he's reestablishing the importance of faith, not in your ability to strive for this stuff, not in your ability to work this out, but in, in the ease of actually striving after God and seeking after him. And, and then it says, the promise is, as we put him first, as we strive and seek for God, for his kingdom, that all these things will be given to you as well. So we can either strive after this stuff or we can actually just seek God, seek his kingdom, allow him to take care of this. And that is, it's a, it's a completely different heart posture. And just an example, I'm sure we've all got examples of how God has, has provided for us. And uh, a fun one that, that we had um, is that uh, a few years ago, Danny and I had an, an opportunity to go to a ministry school in America. And um, it was for a year, and our eldest was two at the time. So we packed our lives up as best we could and then distilled it down to a couple of suitcases, most of which is filled with stuff for a two-year-old so, uh, to get us through the year, and we, we headed off to America. And we rented a house that had the bare bones of, of what you need. In the kitchen, there would be maybe one, maybe two sharp knives to cut with and, and cutlery and things, but the, the cutlery was, was bad. Um, you'd try and cut, and rather than cut, the, the knives would bend rather than actually cut through. Rather than pick something up, the fork would bend. I mean, I don't know what it was made of, um, but it, it didn't work. And a week into school, also in that, uh, that time, I'm frantically taking notes. We're learning so much stuff at this school. It's just amazing revelation, just extraordinary truth. And I'm frantically taking notes on my phone. In a weekend, I'm like, this actually isn't working. Um, I'd love uh, an A4 moleskin journal, plain journal that I can actually journal in and, and capture the essence of what, what's happening in this place. So I, I've made a note. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to a shop later and, and see and find one. Also, in the background of this, when we flew over, um, Danny, uh, my wife, absolutely loves Tupperware. Now, it might be a girl thing. In fact, to the point where I'd go as far as saying, if you read the book on love languages, I would make a case for there being more than five. I'd say six. And in some cases, maybe some girls can relate to that. But I'd throw Tupperware in there as well. But at home, we have a, a drawer. It's a pan drawer a pan drawer, uh, which is for pans. But ours isn't full of pans. It's, it's absolutely loaded with Tupperware of all different shapes and sizes and colors. And that's, Danny loves it. Um, it it's, it's one thing actually finding the, the Tupperware that you need for whatever you're putting in it. To find the lid that matches. <laughs> Again, I don't know if it's a guy thing, but I'll, I'll complain and Danny will just reach in and just pull out the lid that you need. I, I don't know how she does it. But anyway, she loves Tupperware. And suffice to say, in our suitcases that we packed and loaded with our, our stuff, we did not have any Tupperware. So Danny saw an advert on Facebook Marketplace. Someone was selling some cutlery. So um, we went over that evening after the, the um, um, ministry school and found this, this cutlery, which is brilliant. It cuts. It's what you want cutlery to do. It's nice and sturdy. And on the table, uh, beside the, where the cutlery is, are two A4 brand-new wrapped moleskin journals. 
And the guy's like, oh, you can have those for a couple of dollars. Um, and my, my, my jaw dropped. And he said, yeah, you can't actually buy them in this city. They don't, they don't sell them. There's no shops that will sell them. And I hadn't even started looking for them. But God knew that that's something that I wanted. And two as well, because one wouldn't have got me through the, the, the course. I would got through one about 2003, so I needed two. God knew what I needed. And I was just, I was blown away. And as we're leaving um, this place, the, the lady just calls out to Danny, oh, I, I don't know if this is any use to you. And she hands her this big plastic bag. And you can guess what's in the plastic bag. <laughs> It is full of, of Tupperware, and Danny's in, in her happy place. Uh, <clears throat> so it all, it all ended well. But it was just, it was beautiful that, again, God knows what we need. And in seeking him first and putting him first, he, he, he added those, those things to us. And I'm sure most of us will have testimonies like that of God's goodness and the way, a way that he provides. And the, the amazing thing, if we go to, to verse 32, uh, it says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So it's not just a case in verse 30 that he, God knows what you need. Um, and that he'll give it to you, but he actually is his delight in giving us the kingdom, in giving us the, the, the riches of the kingdom, of the, the, the hope, the joy, the authority, the power, the, the, the words and the, the anointing to transform not only our lives, but the lives of those around us. But also he knows the things that we need. And that is the father that, that Jesus is, is portraying for us to put our faith in. And as we're caught up with the, with the worry and the, the striving after the stuff of life, I believe he's calling us instead to turn from that and to turn our attention to God the Father and to leave this to him and let God deal with it. So it goes on in verse, um, in verse 33. It says, sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And here where it's saying sell your possessions and give alms, Jesus is talking about generosity. And, it's, and as we looked at in the last passage where God is looking for us to be rich towards God, Yes, it, within our tithes and our offerings that we bring to him and bring to, to church, but also in generosity towards those outside of the church and those around us. Jesus said, if you give a, a glass of water to a little one, you're, you're doing that to me. And we can see that actually being rich towards God is looking beyond me and looking beyond my own, my own treasure and actually taking my eyes off that onto to the lives of others. And that's one of the ways that we can, one of the ways that we can be, be, be rich towards God, that we can become a source of provision for others. And so often in our prayers and the answers to our prayers, they involve other people. Very often unknowingly, sometimes knowingly. And it's beautiful when it's unknowingly and you can see that God's working and it's not through anything you're trying to do or manipulate. And it, it says that it's God's good pleasure. Uh, to, 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 to do that. And we get to be a part of that for other people, which is an extraordinary privilege. And so often, where it says, where, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, so often the things of the world, no matter how sparkly or how bright or shiny they are, these things that the world would, would portray as, as bringing you joy and bringing you delight, actually, will, the, the things that we own will end up owning us if we're not careful. 
And I shared a story earlier. When I, um, not long after I graduated, a few years into work, a friend of mine really wanted a Porsche. And uh, we're, on, we're on kind of not far off graduate salaries, only a, only a bit more. But he saved and he saved and he saved and he, he bought himself a Porsche. And, in the, you know, you can picture the kind of the adverts of the, the open Scottish roads and uh, um, just driving without speed cameras or speed limit in the adverts. And this kind of glorious life that, that, um, that he was buying into, again, really not um, necessarily having the, the, the money to do it. But... We, it in our kind of friendship group, we were thinking this guy must be the happiest guy. He's got a Porsche. Oh my goodness! He's like he's hit hit the pinnacle of life and living. And do you know what? He was he was so miserable. And um, whenever we go anywhere, he'd park like in the car park. He'd park miles away, so there isn't a car near it that it's not gonna the, not gonna get a, a door bashed into it. And any little issue, it just became this kind of ongoing. Um, issue for him. In the end, he, he, he changed it and got rid of it. But it was a real wake-up for, I'm not, you know, I'm not, nothing against Porsches because they're amazing cars, but it's more, I think, the advert of what the world sells us as this is going to fulfill you and this is going to bring you, this is going to bring you joy. Um, I think God is calling us to hold, hold things lightly. And as I said, I'm not speaking against, uh, against Porsches, but more the heart issue that that stuff, in that situation, he was owned by it. He, didn't, he had no joy and he had no, no peace with it. There certainly wasn't the fulfillment that the, the adverts would have, um, would have promised. And so Jesus is saying, hold this stuff lightly. And as we give, then we get to store up treasure in heaven, eternal treasure, which cannot be, which cannot be um, stolen. It can't be damaged. It's not going to be destroyed. It's, it's actually storing up treasure for eternity which is an absolute no-brainer. It's just that our brains can struggle to process this stuff. Um, but this, all that Jesus is saying here about, about not worrying, um, it's not a, a call to passivity. It's not a call to, well, God's just going to take care of it so I can just put my feet up and let him deal with it. It's a call to action. And the next few verses um, where Jesus um, gives a couple more parables, but they, they can contain really strong uh, words like be dressed for action be alert and um, verse 40 you must also be ready and it's talking about us having a, a prepared heart for when Jesus returns that we wouldn't be caught off guard that we wouldn't be so caught up with the worrying and the striving of the stuff of life that we actually miss what it's all about and we miss the coming of the king and actually what life is all about and he's calling us to action and he's calling us to turn Again, from this striving after stuff to, to striving and seeking God the Father. And within this, I, I, I believe that yeah, God's calling us to, to uh, just this shift in heart, heart posture. From worry, from striving, and into the arms of our Father who we know that he, he, he knows what we need. He will, he'll give us that and actually will delight in giving us, giving us the, the things of the kingdom, the things pertaining to life. And again, this morning, just a call to faith and a call to where is my attention? What am I, what am I focusing on? What am I worrying about? What is the stuff that's, that's pulling me down? What's the stuff that, that, that would try and in, 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 entangle my, my heart and my mind and, and stop me from seeing clearly and seeing um, the wonder of what God's doing? Just actually in worship, I, I, I had this picture of um, 
Uh, I don't know if those of you have seen the, the, the remake of the Chronicles of, well, I say remake, it's a few years ago, there's a Chronicles of Narnia film um, where Aslan, uh, there's a scene in it where he, in fact there's loads of scenes, amazing scenes in there, but where he's affirming the kids and the, the four children and calling identity and speaking identity over them, giving them a sword, giving I think Peter a sword and a, and a, and a shield and, and, and various others to the girls. But was then reminded in Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about the armor of God that we've been given. And it talks about how we can be equipped with the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth. But then it says, above all, take up the shield of faith with which you're able to extinguish the, the burning arrows of the, of the evil one. And again, this importance and this call to faith, faith in our Father, that faith, that will dispel... So, even as we choose to let go of the stuff of the world, even as we let go of, of worry and striving, the enemy will happily just chip in, oh, well, what about this? What about your pension? What about whatever it is? What about the, this issue? Or what about this relationship? Or, and he'll happily just throw in thoughts, which if we're not careful, careful while we're busy focusing on God the Father, they'll bring us back down to, ah, yeah, you're right. I need to worry about that. And I need to, and actually... That's where faith comes in. We get a shield of faith that we stop these arrows. When a thought comes in, we get to take it captive to the obedience of Christ. And we get to, 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 to say, actually, no. My confidence, my trust is in God the Father. Father, I give you this, this issue. Don't let me be bound by worry and anxiety over this anymore. I give this and I surrender it to you. So even being aware of that, that even with the best will of of, of turning towards God, we've got to recognize that we do have an adversary that will happily keep us in a place of worry and striving. But the beautiful thing is that God's shown us a better way and he's calling us to faith, not in some abstract, distant God, but in a father, a loving father who knows what you need and delights in giving it. So just to to finish up, I, I just wanted to, to wrap up by saying that I believe that, that Jesus' call to his disciples on that day, do not worry about your life, is the same words that he would have us lay hold of 2,000 years later in a different country, in a different culture. Do not worry about your life. And what I'd love to do just for a moment is just to, to close our eyes for a couple of minutes and just to... Even ask Holy Spirit, what are the areas of my life that, that hold my attention? What are the areas that I I'm, that I'm, might be anxious about or worrying about or taking undue thought about? What are the things that, that consume my thinking? Be it finances, be it where we live, be it our health, our, our, our work or our relationships. Um, what is it? What are those things? So Holy Spirit, we welcome you. And we ask that, Lord God, you would reveal those things to our hearts, to our minds. Bring them to mind. In Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, it gives us a way of dealing with this. And it says, do not worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. 
So I'd love us now, just in that, in that quietness of, of heart, just to hand these things, just to picture yourself handing over those things that you may be worried about, anxious about, into the arms of your loving Heavenly Father. And in doing that, we are, we, we use the word repent again in a Christian context. What it means is to turn 180 degrees. It means to, to have a change of mind, change of heart. That to recognize I've been worrying about this. I'm sorry. I give it to you, Father God. You deal with it and show me how to walk forward. And allow him to lead you from this point. Allow him to restore the delight of intimacy with him and pursuit of him in prayer and allowing his word to speak to you in community and serving and generosity in all of the areas that children of God that we are, we get to live from this beautiful place, place of peace. So Father, I thank you for the gift of faith in you. We thank you for freedom from worry. We thank you, Lord, that you have shown us a better way. And Lord, we repent of living as the nations of the world around us, those who do not know you. And even though we have a father, we repent of living as though we didn't with some of the things on the table in our lives. And it may be massive stuff, but I thank you that nothing is too big for you. And you say, do not worry about anything. So Lord God, we surrender worry. We surrender anxiety to you. And instead, I ask that you would supernaturally release faith in each one of us this morning. Faith in you, in your goodness, in your provision. And that, Lord God, you would cause us to live free, to be able to live in this world, enjoy this world, but from a place of freedom. Freedom to live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together for Abel. Should we show our appreciation to James for that powerful word to us? Yeah, fantastic. Really, really good. Yeah. And Holy Spirit, I want to ask that you would water and embed all the seeds of your word that's uh, just been released by James into our hearts. Uh, that that would be more than an excellent message, but we would really take hold of that and live free of worry and oriented to, towards you, Father, the most wonderful one who loves us and takes care of us, and that we be oriented towards your kingdom and conscious with praise and thanksgiving for what you add to us as you take care of us. We give you ourselves, Lord.
in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I think we're going to draw stumps there, everybody. Um, thank you so much for stacking the chairs in threes. That's awesome. <laughs> Be praying. There's tons of things going on. If you don't know what's going on, visit the blue tent outside. Um, or make sure you get on our uh, fortnightly email, which will link you in. Let me pray a blessing as we go. And uh, Father, I'm just so thankful for all that you've been speaking to us about, all that you've been doing this morning. Uh, We give you ourselves. May we shine the light of Jesus as we go from here. Make us bold and extravagant in love uh, to serve and to share and to bless and to proclaim how wonderful you are. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may he rest upon all of us, those whom we love and pray for. May he rest on Ashington and Washington and Whiston and up and down these South Downs and right across the nation, both this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord in the name of Jesus. Amen. And remember the you.